At the beginning of the parsha, we find something very interesting, and that is that Yaakov Avinu goes to Charon, and on the way of traveling from Beersheba to Charon, Yaakov Avinu has Kfitzas Aderach, as Rashi explains. The road suddenly begins to go much quicker for him. The sun sets in a very quick way, in an unnatural way. The sun sets much quicker than it should normally. And he falls asleep on this place that HaKadosh Baruch Hu obviously divined that should be the Makkim that he is at that point. And then he has a dream that night and in the dream, he sees the famous ladder, and there were angels that were going up and down this ladder, and Hashem was on top of the ladder, and he gives him a whole haftachah, Avram Avinu, I am Hashem, the father of Avram, of Yitzchak, and the land that you're sleeping on, I'm giving to you and your children, HaKadosh Baruch apparently folded up the entire real estate of Eretz Yisrael and put it under him, this is, by the way, in addition to other miracles happening, like all of the rocks that were surrounding him, surrounding his head, suddenly morphing into one rock. Amazing things were happening at this day in Yaakov Avinu's life. Kvitsas Adarach, the rocks forming together, the sun setting, and then a beautiful dream of angels going up and down a ladder and haftachas for HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself, about how the land is going to be given to him and his future children, and I'm going to protect you, I'm going to return you to this land, and I'm going to uh, never abandon you. That's the end of the dream. And then Yaakov Avinu wakes up after this dream. And if I was Yaakov Avinu, I would be making a big kiddush that Shabbos, because I had Kitsis Adara, the rocks joined miraculously together, the Shemesh, set quickly. I was on a very special place. I was on Har Maria. HaKadosh Baruch Hu promised marriage to Israel. It was an amazing day in Yaakov Inu's life. Things couldn't be more perfect for him. He had the, the confidence to go forward. He knew that he was going on the right derrick. Everything was just, you know, locking into place and he wakes up. And he says, when he wakes up, Surely Hashem is present in this place where I was sleeping. And I didn't know. And he got very afraid and he said, How awesome is this place? This is not an ordinary place in Eretz Yisrael. This is the Beis Kim. It's Shara Shemayim. This is the Har Maria. This is the direct corollary of Yerushalayim Shalmala. Hakadosh Baruch was right above me. What did he mean by saying that? Was he saying, "Wow, I'm amazed"? He was afraid. He was frightened. Rashi says when he says, I didn't know that this was a Makkah Mikdash. Rashi says, Shem Yadati, had I known, says Yaakovina, that this was a Besa Mikdash, I never would have fallen asleep in this place. The only reason why I fell asleep was because I didn't realize that it was the Makkah Mikdash. I just, I got tired, the sun set. I had pieces of that. I had no idea. It didn't say there was no sign that said Makim HaMikdash. But now I thought that it was the Makim HaMikdash and I am mortified that I fell asleep in the Makim HaMikdash. What right did I have to go and fall asleep in the Makim HaMikdash? I had no business sleeping in the Makim HaMikdash. What a chutzpah it was that I slept in the Makim Had I known, I never would have fallen asleep. The Alkif and Slabatka says that we learn from this episode in Yaakov life the incredible importance of Derech Eretz and how Derech Eretz is Kadma Latayra. What does that mean that Derech Eretz is Kadma Latayra? It means that you might be Zecha with learning, with Taira, to have a Giloy, like 
Yaakov Avinu had a Giloy. Look at what happened to him. Everything happened to Sunset, Kitsna, Derek. Everything couldn't be more perfect. He had a dream after the Shloko appeared to him. He was able to attain the heights of spirituality. Everything was going so well for him. HaKadosh Baruch Hu appeared to him. He saw angels going up and down a ladder. He, he should have said to himself, oh, perfect. The ends justify the means. Okay, yeah, sure, I have to sleep, you know, in the Makhlon Mekesh. But look, obviously, HaKadosh Baruch Hu was happy that I slept in the Makhlon Mekesh. He gave me this beautiful dream. And it was the Makhlon Mekesh. Maybe that caused the dream. And maybe Hashem wanted me to sleep in the Makhlon Mekesh. That's not the way Yaakov Avinu thought. Yaakov Avinu did not think that way. He didn't say, okay, the ends justify the means if I fell asleep and I had a great dream, so who cares where it is that I slept? He woke up and he was frightened. And he was, he was so, like, regretful. Had I known, I didn't know this much, but had I known, never would I fall asleep. With all the dreams, with the angels, with the dealer, with that prophet, with that Sparkle, I would not have fallen asleep. You know why? I would have gladly sacrificed and conceded all of those prophets and all the dealer that I had, all the, the, you know, the revelation of that dream, because to get to that dream, I had to do something that was wrong. I had to sleep in a place that's not appropriate for me to sleep in. It's not there if Eric's for me to sleep in a muck in my mistress and I slept there, I feel terrible. The author says, you see the, the sterling midas of Yaakov and you see the priorities of Yaakov and you see how Derech Eretz is the most critical thing in a person's life. Religion is wonderful. Torah is amazing. Mitzvah is like nothing like. But it all is based on a foundation of Derech Eretz. A person has to first and foremost be a mensch. If he's a mensch, then you're humble. Now you have a, a, a clear path to do whatever you want in life in terms of Yiddishkeit, in terms of learning and davening and steiging. But if you're not a mensch and you're steiging and you're learning, it's worthless. Because it has to be built upon a steady and firm foundation called Darius Eretz, called Midas. And if you have Midas, then everything is wonderful. But if you're doing something wrong... If you're acting inappropriately, albeit you're gaining a lot, you're striving, you're doing amazing, but if you don't have the midas, it's not worth anything. It's not worth anything. We see that, says the author from Yaakovino, said, I would have given it all up. It's not worth it. All the things that I saw in my dream, all the miracles surrounding the episode, it's wonderful, but it's not worth anything because look at what I had to do. To get, to, to get to there, I had to sleep in the Makhma Mikdash. That's not appropriate. I would not have slept in the Makhma Mikdash. Had I known that as much, I wouldn't have, even though I would have, had I been told that, yeah, but if you sleep here, look what you're going to get. It's not worth it. That's not the way it works. You have to first have the Derek Eretz, the Midas Kaibes, the Nimusim, which means manners, and then after that, you could be, you know, get all the Giluyim and all the revelation that you want, but it has to be dope first on the understanding that Midas Taivas, doing the right thing at the right time in the right way, is paramount. I wanted to say that really the first time that we're introduced to Yaakovin and the Taira, we really find the remnants to this. Because what does it say by Yaakovino? Yaakov Avinu, the Torah, describes the very first time as what? As an Ish Tom Yeshev Ha'alem. What does Ish mean? Ish means he is a mensch. A mensch means a man. Ish means a man. The first thing that Yaakov Avinu was, before he was the Yeshev Ha'alem, before he was the Masmid and the Lamdin and the Pikeach and the Gaim, before Yaakov Avinu was all of those things, which is really a part of Yaakovino, maybe the most defining thing of Yaakovino was that he is the Yeshiva Ha'olim, but before he got to that step, to be the Yeshiva Ha'olim, there was a step before that he had to take, he had to be an Ishtam, he had to be a mensch that was a pure, good, fine person. If you're good and fine and you're real, and your Midas are exemplary, then you could be a Yeshiva Ha'olim. But if not, if you're just a Yeshiva Ha'olim without the Ishtam, it ain't worth it not the way to go. It doesn't justify it. The fact that you're a Bentaira 
meaning that you're learning Torah and you're learning Halacha and you're learning for whatever it is that you're learning, it's important. Don't get me wrong, it's vitally important. Obviously, that's what we're here for. But there's a step before we get to that level of being Zaycha to be a Tamar Chacham and that is, first we have to be a mensch. Before we're anything, we have to be a mensch. We have to be a human being that's a good person, a real person, a pure person, a tom. We have to be an ish. The first thing that the Torah says about Yaakov is that he was an ish. He was a mensch. And then he was a yeshiva holy. Because Derek Eretz is Kadmaratai, the prerequisite of being a tamachacham, of being a yeshiva holy, is mental type. And doing the right thing. It's a little reminiscent of a, of a story about Rabbi Yisrael Salanter. Rabbi Yisrael Salanter had a granddaughter who was engaged to Rabbi Chaim Eisen. Rabbi Chaim Eisen Grzynski was, in, at the time, he was a young man. But we all know that Rabbi Chaim Eisen became the God of Adar. He was the Rosh Kovanei Hagayla. When you speak about a, 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 an overarching, you know, God of Adar, Rabbi Chaim Eisen should come to mind. Because he was... He was a real leader of Kali Yisrael. Not only was he the most brilliant Talmud Chacham of the Dar, perhaps, but he was at the same time, and maybe even more so, he was a, he had a heart of gold, and he cared for each individual. Reb Chaim used to say that when I was young, I thought that the biggest milo that I, the, the biggest thing that you could do in life is write the Mechadish Tiklach Taira, the Mechadish in Taira, write creative, original ideas and essays in Taira. I thought that was it. He says, when I came to mature a little bit and to grow up and to become more responsible, I realized that that's not the greatest thing. That's child's play relative to the ability that I have to make widows and orphans feel good about themselves to take care of the needy, to take care of the downtrodden. That's the main, the main tactics that I have in my life. Because if Chaim Eiser understood that as great as Tyra is, and Tyra is Tyra, we don't have to talk about Tyra. I think we've spoken enough about how great Tyra is. But Derek Eretz is something that precedes Tyra. Derek Eretz is something that it's as great as Tyra is, and it's infinitely great, Derek Eretz is even more infinitely great. So the story goes that Yisrael Salanter's granddaughter was engaged to this young Chaim Eizer Grzynski. And at the Vart, Yisrael Salanter was not present. He was, I guess he was traveling or maybe he didn't live nearby. And he could not be by the Vart. So the Yisrael Salanter's son-in-law, who was the future father-in-law of Chaim Eizer Grzynski, writes his father-in-law, Yisrael Salanter, a letter. And in the letter he says, wow, you know, your, your granddaughter, my daughter, you know, was Zechet's like a guy in learning. And just to give you an example, he writes the whole shtickle title that, that Chaim Meiser said by the Vart. In the old days by a Vart, the Chaslin would sometimes, you know, say a whole piece of Tyra. You know, an elaborate Talmudic discourse. And Chaim Meiser did that brilliantly, and the father, the future father-in-law, you know, wrote everything down that his future son-in-law had said by the Vart, and he sent this whole shtickle tire to Rizal Salanter, said he should get knocked. Rizal Salanter was not only the founder of the Muslim movement, he was also one of the greatest minds, if not the greatest mind of the Dar in terms of Tyre. It's an unknown fact there. Rizal Salanter, sometimes you think about somebody, you know, in the Muslim movement, okay, he's probably sitting all day and fetching Muslims farm, but he didn't have a chance to, you know, to, to learn any Gemara. Rizal Salanter was the, a, a genius of geniuses. And so Rabbi Shalander gets this letter in the mail, and he writes back a letter to his son-in-law. And he says that, thank you very much for writing, and Mazel Tov, a beautiful shtigal title, he says, but you left out the main thing. Iker chaser minasefer. The main part of your letter was missing. The Pasuk says, Esbiti nasati le'ish hazeh. My daughter, I gave over to this ish. If you've learned Kedushin, that's something that comes up in Sabbath's Kedushin. It's Biti Nasati Lishazeh. So, what do you give over to your daughter? You give your daughter over to an ish. 
What is an ish? A mensch. He says, you didn't tell me that you gave your daughter over to a mensch. I don't know, Chaim Eiser, he might be a very, you know, brilliant young man, but how come you didn't write to me about if he was a mensch or not? You didn't mention that he was a mensch. And he had a taina on there, as you saw, so I don't, you know, taina is beautiful, but I want to know that my granddaughter is marrying a mensch. And that you didn't mention. That you didn't say in the letter. Because menschlichkeit trumps Tyre. Derecheret is karmala Tyre. Tyre is wonderful. But you have to know that you have to be a mensch before you can be a Tamil Chacham. Being a Tamil Chacham, but being a vulgar Tamil Chacham is not only worthless, it's disgusting. You're only a Tamil Chacham if you're a mensch. And if you're not a mensch, it's a Chil Hashem. Period. The stifler was once asked by a, an older person who had a granddaughter in Shidduchim and he wanted to find a Shidduch for her. So he went to the stipler to find out what type of boy, what type of Ben Tyra should I marry, should I look for in my search for a Shidduch for my granddaughter. So the stipler says, you need to find a boy with three things. First of all, he should be a Satama Chacham, he should be an aspiring Satama Chacham, he should be a Masman, an Alamd, and all that. Number two, he should have common sense meaning you should be an, a normal person, a, a person that has a normal way of thinking. And number three, you should have sterling character traits. You should be a, a Balmidei Saibes. So this grandfather was a bit puzzled. And he says, Rabbi, I don't understand something. You told me that I should be looking for, number one, a Tamil Chacham, a Ben somebody that learns and is a Masman, and has, you know, a Melos doesn't it go without saying that if he's that, that he has number three? If he's a Tam Mechachim, he's a person that's learning Yain Malayla, doesn't it, isn't it self-understood that he has Midas Taibas? Doesn't it only understand that to be the same? And the stipler looks at this man and he says, you're wrong. He says, what is a boy that's a, a single boy learning in yeshiva. What is, what's his, who's his companion? His companion is his shtender. Now here we learn by table, but in Eretz Yisrael, um, many yeshivas, if not most yeshivas, have shtenders. Like in the Mir they have shtenders, in Panovich they have shtenders, in Galtaira they have shtenders, and many of the other yeshivas are just pure shtenders. In Lakewood they have shtenders. It's shtenders as far as the eye can see. You know, it's probably a good business, actually, to go into if you want to look for something to do in Eretz Yisrael, build shtenders, because there are so many, everything is shtenders, shtenders, shtenders. So a boy sits, I have my shtender, and I'm sitting in my place, and I take out my Gemara when I need to, I take my Muslim format, I need to take my Halacham, Mishnabura, all by my shtender. So the stifler says, a shtender is a wonderful, wonderful zivug. A wonderful match. You know why? Because a shtender never complains. A shtender is never in a bad mood. A shtender never, you know, gets sick and needs medical attention. A shtender never asks you to take out the garbage. A shtender never asks you to go and, you know, shopping on Arab Shabbos and to clear the table, to set the table, to wash the dishes in the dry. Shtender is perfect. If you can make a zibber like a shtender, Perfect shalom bias. Perfect. He says, the problem is that your granddaughter, I don't think, is a shtender. I didn't see her yet, but I don't think that she's a shtender. She's probably a human being that has moods, that has issues, that has, that needs help in the kitchen, that needs help shopping, that needs help cooking, that sometimes gets in a bad mood, sometimes complains about things. And then what's this boy going to do? When he's living with a human being that has real, you know, that, that then he has to start exercising some midas muscles, but he has, he's in atrophy, he has no muscles because he's so busy all day with his shender, so he has no experience, he has no, so we don't know if he has midas fibers or not. It's never been really checked. His midas have never been checked. Yes, he's a tamachacham, he does great on all the fahers, all the tests that he gets in yeshiva, the yeshivas are really happy with him. But what about his midas? Just because he's a London, just because he knows how to learn a Ketzeis and a Rashba doesn't mean that he's a good person, that he has character. Because he's never been trained, not because he's a bad person, 
but he never really had an experience that he had to really necessarily show his character. And so you have to make sure, before you do a shit up with a boy, you have to make sure that not only is it Tamachachim, which is very, very important, but it's also equally important, if not more, that you check out the fact that he has Midas Titus. Call his parents, call his Chabrusa, call his roommates, call his friends, call his enemies, call whoever it is, but find out what type of boy this is before you do a shit up with him. Because Taira is great, but there's a step that comes before Taira, and that's called Midas, and that's called Derech Eretz. And that we see from Yaakov Avinu, Yaakov Avinu, with all of the grandeur of that dream, with the Malachim flying up and down the ladder, but he woke up and he says, uh-oh, I messed up royally. I shouldn't have slept. When is that? Forget the sleep. Forget the, 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 you know, the fact that maybe it wasn't perfectly, you know, characteristic to sleep here. But look at what happened. Let's talk about the positive of Yaakovino. No, 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 that's not Yaakovino. Yaakovino realized there is no positive. If I'm messed up in my midas, then whatever happens after that is nothing. But Merkei says, had I known, I would have given it all up. I would have easily surrendered and forfeited everything. Because in violation of Derech Eretz, in violation of Midas, nothing is justified. Period. Reb Chaim Vital says, he asks the basic question. His question is, how come if Midas are so important, why is it in the Torah? A lot of us might ask, hey, you know, I do all the Torah mitzvahs, or as many as I can do. You know why I don't, you know why I don't work on my midas, why I don't learn by Musa Seder? Why I'm not trying to work on my kaas and my, and my kinna and my, and, and, you know, and, and all the other good midas, vatranas, and, uh, all the things that the Musa song, simcha, and, 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 uh, being mistopic and and all these great things. You know, wh- why did the Torah speak about it? If Musa is so important, they should have taken the Mitzvah Sharm and put that in the Torah. Why isn't midas in the Torah? Dr. Chaim Vital, very simple. The reason why Midas and the Torah is not because the Torah doesn't accept them as being important, that the Torah doesn't recognize them, but it's because Midas are things that come before the Torah. You can't start voracious Baralekin unless you first perfected your Midas. If you don't have good Midas, then the Torah is useless. The Torah is built and understood as a prerequisite. The prerequisite of the Torah has to be Midas. If I would go upstairs to the college and I say, you know, I want to take accounting too. What is the, you know, registrar or whatever going to say? I can't put it into my computer. It doesn't go. Why not? Because you didn't take accounting one. If you don't take accounting one, you can't take accounting two. The prerequisite for accounting two is accounting one. You can't take advanced calculus if you didn't take calculus. You can't take, you know, organic chem if you didn't take chem. You, there are certain things that you need, basics. You need your sideways before you can get to the next step. That's exactly what Midas are. If you're trying to plug in, to log into Gracious Family Chem, don't be surprised if the computer is jamming up and you're not able to access it because you didn't have the prerequisite of Midas Titus. You didn't work on your Midas. And if you don't work on your midas, then it's nothing. It's absolutely nothing. Reb Chaim Brisker, he once said to a certain very wealthy person who was known as being, he knew how to learn, but he was very stingy and he wasn't a nice person. And Reb Chaim Brisker goes over to him and says, a Hasidic of Chat. You ever heard a Hasidic of Chat from Rukhaim Briska before? I don't think so. Rukhaim Briska says a Hasidic of Chat in uh, Mishnah and Perkei Avis. The Mishnah says like this The simple Taich. Hafaychba, the Hafaychba, Tikuleba. It's the Mishnah and Perkei of Avis, Mishnah Chafdalib. Turn it over and turn it over, meaning. Just keep on hazarding and going through the Torah, spinning the Torah, weaving the Torah, looking through the Torah, going through the Torah, do whatever you can with the Torah, the Kulaba. In the Torah you'll find everything. The Seed Baraba, 
And you should get old and, and frail with the Torah. You should learn Torah your whole life. And never separate yourself from the Torah. Your whole life, be busy with the Torah, the Torah, the Torah. Because there's no greater Mida, there's no measure that's as great as the Torah in life. Period. The Torah is the greatest thing in the world. That's how the Pashtun Taich in this Mishnah goes. Zakhtar Chaim Briskid to this cheap miser who is not really working on his meters, but he is a very big London. He said like this. This is how you have to read the Mishnah. You can learn a Dakimara and you can go over it and over and over and over cold. And you can even complete the entire Shas. Finish the whole Shas. Go for it. You learn Gemara after Gemara after Gemara until you mamish no kolaterikula shas. You know it cold. Visir barabra. Not only that, you can learn your whole life. You can stay in yeshiva and kolo your whole life till you're old and gray, and still be able to learn and learn and shtig and do everything devalded. Uminale sazua. But nevertheless, you will not move away from who you are. Meaning, you could say the same low person, the same cheap person, the same inconsiderate person, your whole life. Despite all the learning that you did, you cannot budge an inch in terms of changing who you are. And you'll stay the same way because you didn't learn a single Mida Taiba from the Torah. Meaning, you didn't get a single Mida Taiba from it, from the Torah. Meaning, you can learn and strive. The fact that you've been learning in Cairo your whole life, and your mamish are world-renowned, you've written big svarim, everybody knows that you're the Lamdan Adar, it doesn't matter, in a sense. Of course, it matters, you know, Kaira, Skibaldic, but in terms of if you didn't work on yourself, you didn't learn Musr, and you didn't try to change, and better yourself, you're not going to budge an inch from being the same low person that you were with your Shtender. You've never been able to change yourself. From the Torah alone, you may not be able to get a single meter Torah. For that, you have to work on yourself. You have to learn Musr. And you have to work on yourself. You have to think about what I'm doing right versus what I'm doing wrong. And really try to change and fix what you're doing wrong. Don't expect the Torah to do that. Many people were against the Musr movement when Rishul Salanta made this valiant attempt to start the Musr movement, which was to inculcate in the yeshiva curriculum across the globe, a certain amount of time to dedicate every day to learning Musr. And not just to learn Musr like coldly and dryly, but to learn, as he puts it, Rabbi Salsamantar, Musr bis which means Musr with, with a bren, a live Musr, screaming Musr. I think I, I've said this year already how I once was like to spend some quality time with Rav Gifter. Uh, the Rashiva tells when he was in uh, when he was in Eretz Yisrael when I was learning there and he described to me the way it used to be in, in Tells in Lithuania where he was uh, before the war learning. The way Musar Seder was, he said, was they would plan Musar Seder like right around Shkia time. That's when it started. And they didn't have, like, electricity like we have. They had, like, candles. So you started learning a Musr Sefer at, let's say, whatever time Shkia was. Let's say it was 6 o'clock at night. So Shkia would... You'd start opening up your Musr Sefer at 6 o'clock at night. And you'd learn, like, one or two lines in whatever Musr Sefer you were learning, whether it's Musr Sesham, Shari Chuba, whatever. And you'd go over that again and again and again. The sun was setting outside... It was getting darker and darker and darker in the base madrash, and they didn't turn the lights on. They didn't turn the, the, can, the candles on and the lanterns on. 
And people, it was getting darker until it was pitch black, and people, he said, were screaming that same mantra of a, of a sentence from the Muslim Savior that they were going over and over again. They were screaming, and they were driving it into their very core. That's what Muslim used to be like in Europe. It wasn't like, okay, let's take out a pencil and, you know, with our credit card and, like, go under the thing. And, like, it was, Muslim was alive. Muslim was an intellectual pursuit. Muslim was, was my life. Muslim was my lifeblood. You know, sometimes people come over, Rabbi, I'm making a siyam after Maya tonight. So, most often it's, it's in, uh, you know, it's on, uh, it's on uh, Gemara, on Masechta. But a few times somebody says, I'm making it, what's the siyam on? It's on Masol Tisharim. I said, no, 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 you don't make a scene on the Sosia Sharon. I didn't say that. This is what I was thinking. I didn't stop. And if you want to make it, because I'm date. But, but what I'm thinking, and I'm sharing with you, is that that's, Musr is not like Dafyaimi, that even Dafyaimi shouldn't be Dafyaimi. But it's not like, you know, like how quickly I can get through the Sosia Sharon. It's like if I give you a delicious steak, you know, that's from a world-famous chef, and I ask you how it was. Oh, it was great. I finished it in three seconds. Infinite. That's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to enjoy it. You're supposed to savor it. You're supposed to eat it slowly. Enjoy it. Musa is supposed to be like taken in in like small doses and like breathe and live and like ingest and, 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 and appreciate and get. We don't have the patience for that today. But that's the way Musa is really supposed to be in the purest form. This is what Rabbi Salamanta brought to the world of the yeshivas. And many yeshivas were very against this. Because they felt, contrary to Rabbi Salanter, that whatever Musa you need, you can get from learning a Gemara. You learn Gemara, and Gemara will give you all the Hadrach and all the Musa that you need. That will break your Midas. Rabbi Salanter is a hell of But it just ain't so. We know that it doesn't work. There are people that learn Gemara, and they're extremely good at learning Gemara, but their Midas are hard. Because they never learned Musr and they never worked on their Midas. And they're, we're all works in progress. Nobody's perfect, obviously. But we have to try to get better. We have to try to improve our Midas. Because if not, don't think that the Torah is your savior. That the Torah is, obviously the Torah could make you more perfect, but it's not going to achieve perfection. Perfection you have to work on, on your own. Learning Gemara is going to be able to make you a better person, spiritually and closer to the Rabbani Shalom, but in terms of the ability to change yourself, says Rechayim, it's not going to make you budge an inch from who you are. From Taira itself, you might not get a single good Midah from. That you have to work on. That's a prerequisite to Taira. Taira needs to be put into a body of a person that's a mensch. Shmuel Rizovsky was one of the great Rosh Hashivas in Europe, and he said, and on Europe in Panovich, and he said that um, that he was once about to give shear in Panovich. I assume it was in Panovich. And there was a boy that came a little late into shear, and he slammed the door. They didn't have, you know, doors that have the sub. In the old days, like the doors were like they had slammed shut. Or he would pull it and it would go very quickly. And everyone got very scared for nothing. Why do you have to slam the door? You ever in a room and like somebody just goes and slams the door and you wonder like, why'd you do that? Like, or like you're in a car. Sometimes I, I do carpool and some of the kids are really nice. They say thank you and they close the door nicely. And then sometimes, you know, you have these kids, they, just, they don't say thank you and they slam the door. And everybody like has to get scared. Why'd you do that? And Shmuel Rizovsky said that I push it was embarrassed that I had to give sheer, and that boy was in my sheer. I felt embarrassed. I felt like I couldn't even, the words couldn't come out. Because how do I give Torah over to a boy that doesn't have good midas, to a boy that's not careful about Benad Mochaber, that he could slam the door and get everybody nervous for nothing? There's something wrong here. There's something, there's a virus in him that, he, that, that I don't feel comfortable giving sheer to him. Sometimes a Rebbe is, you know, is sensitive to these types of things. And that's good, because a Rebbe should be sensitive. A Rebbe should give Musa to Talmidim, gently, of course, but 
Tamidim that are not acting appropriately, this is what it's important for Rebbe to point these things out. I'll tell you a personal story. That when I was in elementary school, so I, I had a very good Rebbe, an excellent Rebbe. And it was Hanukkah time, and I had come to davening early together with a, a bunch of other boys. And the Shiva had given this Rebbe a shtender, like a very nice, brand new Formica shtender um, for a Hanukkah present. And one of the boys that were there in the Vesmedish with me before davening started, and before anyone really, before the Rebbe came, he took a, a candle from the Menorah that was lit, you know, the day before in Yeshiva, in the Vesmedish, you know, you light a Menorah in the morning, he took a candle from that, he took the wax, and he sort of like graffitied up this brand new shtender. And I saw him do it, and I was upset by it, but I didn't say anything. Or maybe I did, and he didn't listen, I don't remember. But my Rebbe came in to the base madrash, and he, um, and he sees his brand new beautiful shtender, I guess he was excited to use it for the first time. And it had wax all over it. So, he looked at me, and I guess he saw me smirking or something, I don't know. And he said, Maisha, come here. So I came and I said, he said, he says, who did this? Do you know who did this? I said, yes, I do. He said, who did it? I said, Rabbi, I, I, I can't snitch on the boy. I don't snitch. So he got very upset with me and he said, you have to tell me who did it and if you don't tell me who did it, I'll give you to him after Davin, if you don't tell me who did it, you're not to come to Shir. can't come to Shir today. So Davin was over and I didn't go to him, I didn't go over to him. But I went over to my friend and I said to him, listen, Chaim, you have to, uh, you have to go to Rebbe and tell him you know, that you did it because I'm not allowed to back into Shir until, until you tell him. So he did it to his credit. He went over to, to my Rebbe and he admitted that he did it and whatever he had to do to, you know, to, you know, to make up for it, I don't remember. But I do remember that I came into Shir a little late and all the boys were already sitting and Rebbe was already giving Shir and I, um, you know, and I was just like making a beeline to my seat. And my Rebbe says, Amisha, what, what are you doing here? So I said, Rebbe, I'm coming to Shir. So he said, didn't I tell you that you're not to come to Shir until you tell me who did it? I said, but Rebbe, the boy who did it told you. I went over to him and I made sure that he would tell you. He says, says, I didn't tell you that you should tell the boy to come over to me and tell me. I told you that I wanted you to tell me. And you didn't tell me. And so you're not allowed to come to Shir. And at the time, I didn't understand this. At the time, to me, it was like, you know, I was right. I didn't snitch. I was a good friend. But it was chutzpah on my part. And he was right to say to me that I shouldn't come into Shir. What right did I have if my Rebbe tells me that he wants to know who did it? What right do I have to tell him no? Or to be quiet and, and to not tell him? Now, I know that people that are, you know, into halacha are going to say, well, there's nigris Meisha about it, about whether or not it's mutter for, you know, you can snitch or you can't snitch. Or all the, I know the tyrus. But at the end of the day, it was downright chutzpah that I thought that I did not have to listen to my Rebbe when he told me something. And to this very day, I regret it. This Rebbe was nifted very young. And he was a person who mamish trained boys, and so many of the boys that went through his class were really, their life was altered in like a remarkable way. I'm one of the examples, I guess, but I'm the smallest of examples. There are people that came out of his class that really... 
you know, are tremendous human beings, tremendous tremendous people. But I blew it. And that's sort of what I guess my Rebbe was feeling like of Shmuelzovsky at that point. It's embarrassing. To give a share to people that don't appreciate me. To give a share to people that are not mentioned. It's humiliating for a Rebbe. It's humiliating for the Rebbeinah Shalom to have to give a share to people that are not B'nai Darachares, that, that are not Balimidais. They might be Tamid Racham, Lamdonim, Steiging, and Chazchazering, and taking perfect notes, but if they're not Menschlach, then it's Bizyainis. It's not what the Torah wants. The Torah wants us to start, to start with Midas, and to end with Midas. The Torah itself starts with Midas and ends with Midas. And we have to start and end our lives with Midas. And if we don't, and we think that learning is a substitute for Midas, we're wrong. And if we know people that are to be the but they're real not nice people, then you should know they're not to be the either. Because to be a Talmud Chacham by definition means that you're a human being, that you're a mensch. You're not perfect, nobody's perfect, but you're trying your best to have good midas. Good midas means to be courteous to other people. To not slam the door when there are other people nearby. To not leave dirty tissues on a base matters table when you know that somebody's going to be grossed out by looking at it. To not leave styrofoam cups after we finish with our coffee strewn around. To not leave svarim that we use on our tables and not put them back so that other people don't have to go and have the indignation of looking for a saver for 15, 20 minutes, an hour because we couldn't be courteous enough to put it back. That's what midas are. When somebody's coming into a door, one of my major pet peeves is that when, you know, if you're coming into a door... I'm not saying if there's a guy down the block that's coming, you know, that you have to wait 15 minutes for him to come to you to, in order to hold the door open for him. But if there's a guy 10 feet behind you, what right do you have to not hold the door for him? Not only when he's an old man, even when old men tell me that when I speak about these things, I have, I have people coming to my shirim that I give, you know, that are 85 years old, and they tell me all the time, there's these young whippersnapper kids, and they go into a shul, and, you know, or into a building, into a post office, and I'm, I'm like, Mama's three feet behind them, and they see me peripherally, they, I know that they see me, and they can't keep the door open for an extra second for me. So, good, they're, they're wearing black pants and white shirts, they're wearing their hat, they're really yeshivish, but who cares? You're not a mensch, period. If you're not a mensch, it's worthless. Go to public school if you're not going to be a mensch. Terah is meant for people that are menshwa, for people that have good midas. And if you don't have good midas, then don't bother learning Taira. Because the prerequisite for Taira is having good midas, period. And that's what we see from this week's parsha. I'll just end with a story of the Satma Rebbe. The Satma Rebbe said that he wanted to make a shear. This was right after the war. It didn't look like it did today. Satmar today is like a community of 100,000 people. I don't know how many people. It's thousands and thousands and thousands. Limitless Satmar Hasidim. You know, if you see these pictures of like by the Yardside Sudas or by a Tish of some sort, they fill up like these huge armories in Williamsburg and wherever. And, you know, literally they could, a tent, they could make a tent, they could fit 100,000 Jews in a tent. But in the olden days, meaning right after the war, there weren't 100,000 Jews in America. There weren't 10,000 Jews in America. There were a few from people. And they were mostly concentration camp survivors, many of them, the Hasidim that came from the war. And the Satmar Rebbe came. He, he was survivor, a survivor also on the famous Kastner train. He came to America. He didn't have anything. He had no Hasidus. He had no, what he did was, he says, let me take a group of Baobatim and one night a week we'll learn together something. We'll learn Mesechus, Brachus, whatever. And these people were broken. I mean, the fact that they were able to still be Jewish was, uh, was miraculous after what they saw in, in, in Europe. But they came and they were trying and they were struggling to get their lives together. They lost their families. They lost their, their homes. They lost their money. They lost their communities. They lost their rabbis. They lost everything. And here they came to America. The Samaritan was trying to breathe new life into them. 
So he says, one night a week we're going to make a shear together. So he got, I don't know how many Baal 15, 20 Baal came to a shear on Tuesday nights at 8 o'clock. I'm making that up, but just for argument's sake. So they all, you know, had a Gemara in front of them, a Gemara breakfast, and they were all open to that base, Mesechus breakfast, and they're waiting for the Samarebbe, the holy Samarebbe, who had a face of an angel. They're waiting for him to give, to give his shear, but he didn't. Instead, he went around from person to person and spoke to them and says, Reuben, you know, how's it going with, with your business? I know that you're trying to start a, a new a shoe store. How's it going with that shoe store? Sorry, Rebbe, it's hard. Can't get enough people to come into my store and the, the landlord's making them sugar and, you know, I need to borrow some money from this person to pay that person. He's like, okay. He says, what about you, Shimon? So Shimon, I know that you're trying to find a shidduch. You lost your family in the, in the war. How's it going with shidduchim? Yeah, it's not going so well. I'm not getting red people that are normal. It's okay. Then he goes and asks another person, How you, how's your son doing? And my son's not doing well. Okay. End of shirt. Everybody goes home. Next Tuesday night, 8 o'clock, again, they all bring their Gemaras. And again, the Rebbe, instead of giving a shear, Reuben, how's it going? Hashem, this week was a good week. Had a few more customers. Shimon, how's it going? Good. Has read actually a decent girl. Lady, how's your son? A whole year of shearing without saying Abaye Varava once. Beshame Besom, not once. Just building them up, building them up, giving them confidence, giving them hope. And over the course of that year, those 15, 20 Balabatim became, they got back on their feet. One was Shimon got married. Ruvain started having success in his business. Ladies, son started becoming normal again. They became normal human beings. He rehabilitated them one at a time, one share at a time. At the end of the year, he said, Rabbi Sai, up until now, they've learned Daf Aleph together. Now we're going to start learning that. And then they started learning Gemara. There's a daf Aleph before daf Bez, Rabbi Sai. We all know that for some inexplicable reason, Gemara start with daf Bez. But today it's no longer inexplicable. The reason is because there is a daf Aleph. And the daf Aleph and I don't think it's coincidental as the same Rashi Tevis as another Dalit Aleph. And that's Derech Eretz. Before a person gets to that phase in Shas, he has to start with the Daf Aleph, and that Daf Aleph is the Derech Eretz. And the Midas Tevis said a person has to inculcate into himself. A person has to be a mensch. And if you're a mensch, you're going to be a wonderful person in life. You're going to be an amazing husband, an amazing father, an amazing friend, an amazing boss, an amazing worker. You're going to be a leader because people see in you that not only are you a Tamil Chacham, but you're also a mensch. But if a person is only a Tamil Chacham, as brilliant as he may be, as creative as he may be, as original, as geschmack as his terror might be, He's missing the very foundation of learning, and it's not there. He learned Torah his whole life, and he's brilliant. But he didn't learn a single Midah Torah from the Torah. And that's something that we have to learn. The importance of Torah is paramount. This is not in any way an undermining of the primary importance and focus of our life of learning Torah. That is it. That's the purpose. But we have to know that part and parcel 
the foundational step of learning Torah before we get to the Daf Beis is the Daf Aleph, which is Derech Eretz. That's what Akhenesh Baruch expects from us. He doesn't want people that are not mental, that are not honest, that are not ethical, that are not moral to learn his holy Torah. We don't deserve to learn his Torah if we're not moral. And if we don't try harder to change ourselves. We see the world unraveling as we speak. Day after day, you open up, you know, the news, whether it's on a radio, a website, a newspaper, whatever it is that you, that you get your news from, but you see that the world is crumbling, literally. There's no rhyme or reason. There's no law and order. There is nothing stable in the world. Nothing. There are behemoths, literally two-legged behemoths and chayas running around the streets of Paris and, and Eretz Yisrael and America and Belgium and Italy wreaking havoc, taking fine Western society and terrorizing them to the point that they don't want to function anymore. And we don't know where this is going to end. But one thing we could take from these people, they're not people, one thing that we could take from these chayas is how not to be, how not to terrorize other people. Now, we're not walking around terrorizing people, Baruch Hashem, with guns and suicide vests, Khalil Bachas, but we have our own ways of terrorizing people, don't we? We could bully people, we could abuse people, we could shock people, we could make fun of people. We can make people feel that they don't want to be here. We can make people feel unwelcome, that they're not wanted in our cliques, that we don't want to sit next to them on a Shabbos, that we don't want to schmooze with them in the room, that we don't want to invite them to come with us to eat in a restaurant. That's also terrorism, a much more subtle form, yes. Maybe a Jewish form of terrorism, but it's terrorism nonetheless. And if we are going to act like that, then we are making a Hashem of paramount proportions. These are things that we have to work on. Because if we're not working on them, then the Torah we could shut our demise. It's not worth anything. We are human beings. Klai Yisrael is the Amanivcha. Klai Yisrael are the chosen people. We show the world how to be a human being, how to be a mensch, how to be civilized how to be normal, how to be ethical, how to be honest. That's our legacy. That's the obvious accusation that brought back to the world. We are their successors. And we must continue to show the world what honesty looks like and what decency looks like, what morality looks like. And it starts here in Yeshiva, Ben don't wait to go to the workforce to show, well, I'm going to make a Chol Hashem with Gayan in the workforce. Make, make a Kiddush Hashem, rather. Make a Kiddush Hashem in the base Medrash. Do the right thing with your roommates. Do the right thing with your chavrusa. Do the right thing with your, with your friends, with your brothers, with your sisters, with your mother, with your father. Do the right thing there. Be a man. Show me this purpose. And once we've accomplished that, then we could start already learning Torah on Daf Have a good chance.